Please take your seats and turn again with me tonight to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. Let's read the first three verses together. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And God will add his blessing to the reading from his word for his name's sake. Would you bow your head with me for a moment, please? Let's seek the Lord together. Father in heaven and in, in the Savior's name, we now come to thee again because, Lord, the fact is we can't do this without thee. This, this preacher has no power except thou dost give it. He has no ability natural to him to preach thy word in such a way where lives are changed. But what he lacks, Christ has in abundance. And what thy people lack tonight, the Lord Jesus has in abundance. And we pray that thou wilt reach thy gracious hand into that storehouse of blessing in Christ and give to us abundantly all that we need for this hour. In the Savior's name and for his glory we pray it. Amen and amen. Quite a few years ago now, I sat in the living room of a woman who had been saved for, at that point in time, probably 40 years. She had served the Lord as the wife of a missionary on the fields of Africa for almost 10 years. And she had been a pastor's wife for over 25 years. I had known her uh, since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. She often would be our babysitter when my, both my mother and father had to work. And we were put into her care. A very godly woman. My memories of her were always pleasant. She always loved to speak about the Lord. She seemed to glow when she would talk about the good things that the Lord had given to her and had done for her. She certainly had a very bright, joyous, and, and happy testimony. She could laugh easily. Sometimes the laughter was a bit delayed, and that wasn't always good because it would happen uh, in a church service and the preacher would tell some amusing story and she didn't get it till about five minutes later and she would start laughing and I knew what was going on. She was just getting the joke. But here she was in the autumn years of her life sitting there in that living room with tears in her eyes and telling me how she was so deeply troubled by her sin. Her sharp tongue, her impatient spirit, and even feelings of resentment toward God for the difficult situation she found herself in, which was indeed very difficult. She said she had tried so hard to fight against these sins, but she found herself failing time and time again. So much so that she, she wondered whether or not she was a child of God at all. As I was speaking with her, 
I remember this passage coming into my mind. The apostle has just called upon these Hebrew Christians to put off, lay aside every weight, every encumbrance, and the sin which so easily slowed them down in this race they were running in life. As we've already seen, he has been exhorting them to run. Didn't say stop running it because it's difficult. And it was difficult. This was a very trying situation for them. He didn't say stop running. He didn't say pause and take a break. He says keep running. We found that word was a strong Greek word that spoke of striving, of agonizing, of contending, of straining in our running this race. That tells us that the Christian life and this Christian race is not child's play. It's nothing to be taken lightly. It's not something you can just lay aside for a while and then come back to it. It's solemn and serious business. It calls upon God's people to give all diligence in their pursuit of this prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This is a fundamental rule in making spiritual progress in the Christian life. We also found Paul exhorting these tried and persecuted believers to run this race with patience. Something this dear lady didn't feel she had much of. They needed, especially at this time in their life when it was so hard, they needed to endure. Endure. That's anything but stopping or backing off. This course that God had appointed for them to run was very difficult. There were unexpected twists and turns in the course. And the apostle tells them to lay aside their sin and run with patience, run with endurance. This race that the Lord had ordained for them. Because the course he had ordained was the course of his choosing. Of his creation. And every twist and turn in the road, every obstacle in the path, every difficulty, it was there not by chance, but by divine appointment. Endure, therefore, he says. You can't walk away from this race if you're a Christian. You can't walk away from this calling. We're runners just as much as we're warriors. Soldiers. The question that would have plagued these Hebrew Christians and the question that has plagued that woman that I was speaking with and the question that so often plagues the child of God when they hear this direction to run with patience, how in the world do I do it? It's easy to sit back in an armchair with your feet up and tell people how to do this, that, or the other thing. It's something else to know how to do that from experience when you're in the midst of it. How? How can I put off these sins which so easily trip me up they hinder me. They slow me down. They keep me back from progressing in grace as I could. I feel so weighed down by my troubles, by my sins, by my temptations, by my trials, that I 
I feel like I'm not making any progress in this race. In fact, I, I seem to be going backwards. I, I feel like at times just giving it up altogether. How, how can I get this patience, which seems to be so elusive, for me at least? Please tell me how I can do this. Well, the gospel of God's grace tells us that the God who set down in his word what we are to do and what we are to be and to live this kind of a Christian life as we run this race has also told us how we are to do that. The Lord has not come along and said, now, this is a tough race. You just got to run it. You've just got to stick it out. Don't quit. Be strong. Be tough. You'll make it. That's not the gospel of grace. We've not been left to ourselves. God has not left it to us to figure out how to run this race with patience. And what the Spirit of God says in the next verse underscores what I'm saying. After telling them what they need to do, in many ways this is the climax of all that he's been getting at in this epistle. After telling them what they need to do, he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Wrapped up in that one text is both the manner and the motivation for the Lord's people to run this race. And to run it with impatience, with with endurance. So we come to the two final thoughts concerning this Christian runner. We want to look at the Christian runner's pattern, and then the Christian runner's prize. The Christian runner's pattern... Let let me remind you again that the allusion Paul is making here in this verse as he continues on with this picture of of a Greek runner competing in what were really the very beginnings of the Olympics that we know them as today. These were the ancient Olympics. Athletic events, very popular. And races were a big part of it. As a matter of fact, I think I said for the first 50 years it was only a race that was run uh, so many meters long. That was the only thing that constituted the Olympics, running. At the end of the race course, there was a raised platform. On that platform sat judges, and the judges were made up of men who had run this race in previous years. They hadn't just run it, they had won the race they had run. Those were the ones judging at the end of the course. When all the races had been run and won, they were the ones who who awarded the prizes to the winners. Paul takes that very well-known fact in his day and weaves that into the truth that is so critical for these Hebrew believers and so critical for us. They, too, were in a race, and it was a race of faith. They must prepare for that race by putting off the weights and the sins that would slow them down. They must run this race with patience, this appointed course God has for them, regardless of how difficult the course is. They couldn't choose another one. They didn't have the option of selecting another lot in life. It was fixed. It's determined by the Lord. And the way, the way they are to do that is by, and this is the image of the, of the Greek runner, I'm looking for the end, I'm looking for the finish line. At the finish line, there's a platform with judges upon it, and they're going to award the prize. I must run to win. Looking to Jesus, the one who's at the end of the course, there's the illusion. The one who himself has run the race of faith and has won it. This is what Paul means by referring to Christ as the author. 
of our faith. The word author, it occurs, at least the word translated here, author, it occurs three other times in the New Testament, and all of them are in reference to Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 3, verse 15, Christ is called there the Prince of Life. Prince. The idea there is the originator of life. Life comes from him, who is life. In Acts 5.31, God exalted Christ to be a prince and a savior. That word prince again is there, and in context it has the idea of being a chief or a leader of his people. And then in Hebrews 2, verse 10, the apostle says, For it became him, that's Christ, it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. The word captain is the same word here, author. The captain of their salvation the leader. You put that into its context. The captain is the one who is the leader, the one who goes before them, who leads them, and in leading them, he sets them the example. So, Hebrews 2 says, Wherefore, in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. He went before as the leader, as the example for them to follow. Final references here in verse 2 of Hebrews 12, where Christ is said to be the author of our faith. Note that the word our is in italics. That means the translators put that in to help us understand the meaning. It does not occur in the Greek text. The word the does occur in the Greek text. The author and finisher of the faith. So what's the big deal? Do you think that makes a difference? The author and finisher of the faith. Some have taken this to mean that Christ is the originator of the faith that Christians exercise. The the act of believing. That would be subjective faith if that's the case. What we do when we put our trust in the Lord, when we believe His promises, and The the thought would be that Jesus Christ is the one who originates that faith. And that's very true. Faith comes. It's a gift of God. It's not a product of the human will. Faith is a grace. A grace from God. That well-known passage in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, is often, the truth there is often missed because of Misunderstanding, for by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. The Greek grammar shows that the that is a reference to faith, not to salvation. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that faith is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Who believe, Paul says, according to his working. So it is true that Jesus is the originator of this faith. Others have interpreted this phrase, the faith, to refer to the entire body of truth that's believed by Christians. Jude uses it like that. Uh, We are to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered 
to the saints. It's not subjective faith at that point in time. It's the entire body of truth regarding uh, the faith of Christianity. Defend it. Contend for it. Well, the, the faith can certainly have reference to that in Scripture. I don't believe that within the scope of this passage in Hebrews that that is what Paul is getting at. Not objective faith, not subjective faith. He's still alluding to the Greek runner. And that analogy is lost if we begin to speak of Christ as the originator of subjective or objective faith. However, once we see that the reference is to the judge at the end of the race, the judge who has already run the race and has won the grace, then we see that Paul is referring to Jesus Christ as the leader, right, as the exemplar of his people who are running the race, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of the faithful. The faithful. Just as the circumcision is a term the Holy Spirit uses to describe the circumcised, and just as the captivity stands for the captives, so the faith stands for the faithful. So you put all this together, you have set before us the way in which we are to fulfill those requirements of verse 1, looking unto Jesus, the leader, the example, the pattern of the faithful, the completer. We'll see what that means a bit of the faithful. But what does that mean? I guess probably most of us could quote this passage off by heart. Looking unto Jesus, it becomes kind of a, a mantra, doesn't it? I just need to look to Jesus. Without a whole lot of time spent on actually finding out what does that look like? in practice. What does that mean in my Christian life day by day when I'm running this race and I feel like quitting because of the pain that I can't take anymore? What does it mean to look unto Jesus? Well, it's obvious that since he's the leader going before, since he's, the, he's run the race already, he's finished his course, he's, he's there at the finish line waiting to award the prize. What, what does that mean that I am to look to him as my pattern, as my example? Well, like Jesus we must look away from certain things. And I say away because the compound word that Paul uses here means to look off. Participle, looking off unto Jesus. It's this idea, you know, if you're going to, if I say, look at me, look at me, you can't be looking somewhere else. You can't be looking to who's over there. Or what's behind me? You have to put your focus on me. Away from anything else. If we're going to run the race with... Because that's the question we're asking, isn't it? That's the question 
that we find, how do I do this? How do I lay aside the sin that so easily besets me? How do I run this race with patience when it is well nigh so difficult that I feel I can't run another step? You look first. You do what Jesus did. You look away from everything else but the one object before you. The one object before Christ was the cross. He set his face like a flint. It was not going to turn. There was no one and there was nothing that was going to stop him. His focus was laser focus. That's where I'm headed to complete my father's mission. That's why I'm here. Looking away from everything else. When, he, when the Lord put his eye upon his mission, the one thing, he took his eyes off of the Pharisees who caused him so much grief, constantly opposing his ministry. He didn't focus on the unbelief of his own people. He didn't focus even upon the follies of his own disciples. I've got a race to run. And I'm going to finish the race. In the case of Christ, what we glean this from verse 2, what he especially looked away from was the shame that was his to experience. Hmm? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Despising in this case means he thought little of the shame. It was like nothing to him. It was like nothing to him in comparison to what he was after. It wasn't this big ordeal that's so gigantic, I can't take it. No. He thought little of the shame. It doesn't say, the Holy Ghost does not say that he despised the pain. You know that? He doesn't say he despising the pain. It doesn't say that he despised the hatred that he had to endure all his earthly life. It doesn't say he despised being forsaken. No, the one thing the Holy Spirit points out is he despised, he thought little of the shame, the dishonor and shame that was placed upon him. Why do you think? Because the Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's Lamb. The Lamb. And shame upon shame was heaped upon him. The Prince of Glory, he's called. He thought little of the shame, shame that was put upon him because of your sins. Because of mine. His, uh, the Lord didn't put his eyes upon that. He looked away from the shame. The humiliation. That was his from birth. Right to the cross. He did not focus on that. He did not focus on the trouble. It was the finish line. If you and I are going to run this race with patience, if we're going to endure the difficult places in life, then like Christ, we must look away. So what do you and I need to look away from? What, what are the things... Well, obviously, we must look away from self if we're going to run this race with patience. Self is our greatest enemy. 
in running the race. Self. The devil will use many tactics to keep the child of God from looking steadfastly off to Christ. He knows that's his undoing. He knows that when our eyes are upon the Lord, we run and we serve and we love. So he knows the way he's got, what he's got to do is to get our eyes off of Jesus. One of the oft-used tricks in his bag, and the one he uses with such great success, and most often, I believe, is to get the believer to focus his attention on himself, his, his personal situation, his surroundings. Life becomes all about me. Because the devil knows man's natural tendency is to be self-centered. And he exploits that tendency with tremendous skill. It's like in a flash you can get your mind filled with these thoughts about yourself. Just consume you. Spend so much time. But if the Christian is going to lay aside the sin and run this race with patience, he must look away from himself, and that means several things. He must look away, obviously, from his feelings. Your feelings are going to change. <laughs> They're guaranteed to change. Some people's feelings change a lot more than others. We call them roller coaster people. You know, they're up and down and around and everything else. They're just not, it's not a straight, they're just up and down continually. It's part of their makeup. And I get that. But when you, you understand that when feelings fluctuate with circumstances, it can cause you a big problem. Many Christians, I'm sure you've done it, I have certainly done it, go around feeling your spiritual pulse. And they judge their spiritual state before God by how they feel that day. If they feel the Lord is close to them, then they are close to the Lord. And they feel happy and they feel confident. I'm, I'm not despising feelings at all. You know me well enough to know that. I love to feel close to God. It is a real feeling. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's something you sense when you're close to the Lord. Just like you sense it when you're far away from the Lord. So I'm, I'm not despising the feelings, but it... In the case when you actually judge your state before God by how you feel, that means if you feel that you're far away from the Lord and the Lord's far away from you, then there goes your confidence. There goes your peace of mind. And then you worry and you fret. And that's exactly what that dear lady was doing in her living room that day. She was looking at her feelings. That's especially true when you're in the midst of severe testing of your faith. If ever you need to look away from your feelings, it is when the wind and the storm is raging. That's the last thing you want to do is to really look to and find yourself depending on how you feel. Because that's what we're talking about. Depending on something. Of course, if you're going to look away from yourself, and this is a, another hard one to do, you have to look away from your failures. You failed. You failed this week. 
Didn't you? Somewhere. It was with your thought life or it was with your tongue. It was with your motivations. Surely you did. And it's very easy to put your focus upon your failures. And to conclude, because your focus is now upon what you're looking at is your failures, is to conclude that you are a failure. And those are worlds apart. You see, you will never be a failure in the eyes of God. Never. Fail, you will. But the Lord will never view you as a failure. But that's how you will think. When what becomes important to you are your successes, and you depend upon your successes to give you confidence and joy and peace of mind. We are living in a success-oriented and driven world. Sad to say, it's found in the church. By man's view of success, it surely is a big impediment to running the race with patience. That would also mean that you look away when I say look away from yourself, you have to look away from your fruit. And by that I mean, of course, the fruit that you don't see. <laughs> you can get caught up focusing upon what I don't have. Or you can get caught up focusing on what I do have. Either way, brothers and sisters, it is when you look to something, you're depending upon something to help you along, to run the race with patience. It doesn't work. Not only must you look away from yourself, but you must look away from saints. You can't be looking around you at other believers and other Christians about how am I going to get through this. You can't depend upon them because they just can't help you. No matter how sincere they would be in their efforts to help you get through the seasons when you hit the wall and you think you can't go on anymore, no matter how you, you cannot, you cannot look to other saints Once you do that, your eyes aren't on Jesus Christ. Running to people is not the answer. Brothers and sisters, we have to learn to look to Christ for ourselves. And you'll not learn that by looking at saints. I'll let you in on a little secret. Saints are not infallible, omnipotent, omniscient. They're just the opposite. They're fallible, they're weak, they're foolish. And yet how many Christians have there been that have wrapped up their peace of mind, their joy, and what other Christians think of them? And they go to them and look to them for help that only Christ can give. It's the height of folly. But it's done.
And of course, the obvious thing you are to look away from is your situation. What's your situation right now? I mean the situation that is leaving you feeling, I just can't do this, or this is so hard. And I've got these sins that hinder me, and I can't overcome them. And because you look at your situation, you actually think the situation trumps everything. It even trumps Christ. It's beyond him. You ought to come to that conclusion if that's where your focus is. It's disastrous to your faith. It will trip you up every time. I'm not speaking theory. I speak very plainly. And you know that. I speak very directly. And you know that. Because I am speaking from my heart and I am speaking from experience. I know what it is to have my focus upon my situation and my circumstances and myself. I know. And I know what it does to me and what it does to my faith in the Lord every time I allow it. I'm in trouble. Despair. Depression. Defeat. Sadness. Hopelessness. Well, what do you expect? I would expect if you put that kind of hope in me, you would be in despair and hopeless. That's what I could promise you. So you have to look away from it. But there's the positive side. Looking off from everything else unto Jesus. Well, the key word here is Jesus. The words the Holy Ghost uses are with purpose. He didn't say looking unto Christ. He didn't say looking unto God. Looking unto the Lord. He said looking unto Jesus. Jesus is the personal name of God's Son. The personal name. It is the name for His humanity. And it is the name that declares Jehovah is salvation. So what he is saying, you who are in this race and you're running it and you must run it with endurance, the only way you're going to be able to do that is by looking unto, that is, leaning on, depending on, putting your focus on Jesus, the Savior of sinners. Jesus, who was in all points tempted like as you were in his flesh, but without sin. Jesus. I want you to, to pray that the Lord will fix that truth in your mind. Because that's the only other place to look. Those other places... There's only one place that you must look. Jesus. That text tells us that Christ, Christ had to live his earthly life by faith. He's the exemplar. He's the example. He's the pattern that we are to follow. He had a race to run. And he finished the race like him. We have a race to run. How did he run it? He lived his life by faith. You might think that's strange. That the Son of God actually had to live by faith in God. 
Back in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13, these words are put into the mouth of Christ and they're found in Psalm 22. Listen, I will put my trust in him. That's God. Jesus is saying that. I will put my trust in him. Christ said in Revelation 3.21, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. What that verse reveals about Christ is that he was an overcomer. And as our pattern for overcoming, running the race with patience, Christ overcame. He overcame the devil's temptations in the wilderness. He overcame the the hatred of the Pharisees. He overcame the suffering and he overcame the shame of the cross. But how did he do that? Well, tell me. You know the answer to my question. What is the victory that overcometh the world? John says, even our faith. Christ overcame by faith. Therefore, seeing we have one who lived and died and rose again by faith one who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. The apostle says, look often to him. Consider him. Why? Because though our faith may fail, his faith never failed. Peter's faith failed him. It did a wonderful thing when he stepped out of that boat onto a tempestuous sea, began to walk on water to Christ. That was a wonderful thing. It was an act of great faith, really. None of those other boys were doing it. But Peter was. Of course, you know the application, don't you? The moment his eyes went off of Christ and on to the storm, he sank and his faith failed him. And your faith has failed. Hasn't it? It's failed at times. You didn't believe. You didn't trust. But the faith of Christ never fails. Though we might tremble with doubts and fears about our circumstances, Jesus had faith in God and his circumstances that was unshakable. In his darkest moment, when the Father forsook him on the cross, it was blackness like you and I can't begin to imagine when he was suffering the equivalency of hell, abandoned by his God. And yet, what does he say? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Forsaken. But still he says, you're my God. I trust you. But what about this look? I've said it can be a mantra. Let's look unto Jesus. I can't imagine how many Christian homes where that verse has been painted, stenciled, whatever. Looking unto Jesus. All right, so here it is. Here's the crux of the matter. Here's the how to. What kind of looking is it supposed to be? Well, in the first place, it, you and I run the race, it's got to be continual. Continual. You know, the, the verb here is in the present tense. It means looking continually. Looking continually often to Jesus. And not stop and start. 
Not looking when I feel like it or looking when I think it's going to work out, but looking continually unto Him. You see, if we stop, if we stop looking unto Jesus, if we stop considering Him, when we forget the Savior, when we fail to deliberately put our focus on Jesus Christ, especially, especially when the course is loaded with difficulties, that's the moment we become weary. And we faint in our minds, as he says in verse 3. At that moment, we grow weary in the running and we think we have hit the wall and we can't run anymore. The fact of the matter is you can run. That is the fact of the matter. And to believe otherwise is to believe a lie smack out of hell. You can continue running because Christ will give you all the power that you need to keep running. But he says, you've got to look to me. It must be continual, not stop and start. How's your life when you stop and start? How's your life? What is your walk like when it's a stop and start looking to Jesus? Now I'll go for a week looking at him and praying and reading his word, and then I'll get sidetracked and I'll be... I'll be looking at the television and looking at movies and looking at magazines and looking at all kinds of things, but I'm not looking at the Lord. Well, I, I'll know, I know how your walk is going. I know how your run is going when you tell me that. No doubt in my mind. The, 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 the weights have not been laid aside. And they're hindering you. They're slowing you down. But haven't you? Surely you've seen that the moment your eyes are back on the Lord, it's like I've got my batteries recharged. I can keep at this thing. I can run this race. It's all because of your focus, you know. It's all what's taking your attention, your time, what's the most important thing to you. You can look upon the shame or whatever it is as of Jesus. I despise it. It's nothing. It's not important. It also must be not only a continual look, but a careful look. Verse 3. Note it. For consider him lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. The word consider only occurs here. It denotes a careful pondering, thinking about something over and over and over again, carefully pondering him. Tell me what you normally carefully ponder when your circumstances have gone sideways. It's anything but a pleasant race. It's so difficult. Tell me, tell me what you find yourself normally thinking about continually. It's your situation. You keep going over it and over it and over it again. Of course, you realize that's not where you should put your care in your thoughts. It's carefully considering Him. Never be satisfied with a little glimpse of Christ now and then, once in a while, only on Sunday. It will affect how the race goes for you. Yeah, you'll finish, you'll finish the race.
But this verse tells me it's not simply about finishing the race. It's about how you run the race. Never be satisfied with a little bit of knowledge about Christ. Well, I got enough. I know I'm enough that I'm saved, and that's good enough for me. Really? Is that all you want? Just to know enough about Jesus that you're saved and on your way to heaven. You want to consider carefully that he's your prophet. And as your prophet, he comes and he reveals the word of the Lord to you. As your prophet, he preaches to you. You know what I know? I'm not a prophet. I'm an under-shepherd. I'm a preacher. And I stand up three, four times a week, and I preach the messages the Lord has told me to preach. But I know one thing right well. It's the prophet Christ who must preach to you before it really gets to you, before it sinks in. It's just, it's just a man up there saying words, but Christ is the only one who can drive this home Amen. right where you're living. He's the, he's the one that by his spirit gives you the truths in his word that you need to hear like right now when you're running the race. See, this has just been divinely appointed by the Lord. Don't think it's just for you. It's first, it sounds selfish like this, but it's, it's for me first. The Lord has spoken to me first. I'm the one. What's the, what's the hymn? It's not my brother or my father or my sister, O oh Lord. It's me standing in the need of prayer. It's me that needs to hear that. Circumstances are not easy. I need my prophet to come and preach to me his word, to tell me, keep your focus on me. He is our priest. I need to continually think about in my running the race, particularly in the midst of all my failures and all of my sins and repeat sins, that nothing will take away from me this great high priest who is always interceding for me with his father and saying, Father, receive them. Father, hear their prayers. Yes, they've sinned, but I've shed my blood. I've covered all their sins. They are perfect in your sight. Receive them for my name. I must remember that, or else my sins will drive me around the bend, and I won't have any answer for them. But you won't get that if you don't carefully consider him. You won't be able to endure. Three times that word occurs. Patience, first time, then endurance twice. You'll not be able to. He's also the king. I must carefully think about the fact that Jesus is my king, my sovereign. He's the one who is on the throne and directing everything and controlling everything. His design, his purposes, it's all being carried out with, with unfailing precision and timing. No such thing as luck. No such thing as accidents. Chance. Nothing's by chance. How could it be? He's the Lord of everything. 
everything. He's God over all, blessed forever. You understand how that makes a difference in the race? When that's your focus? You understand how that actually affects how you view yourself and your circumstances? What's happening? Did makes sense, doesn't it? This, this is, he's in control. Not only controlling things, but directing them. There's a difference. That's looking to Jesus. What about finally the prize, the Christian runner's prize? The Again, that's the Greek runner. He won the race, and when he won the race, he won the prize. In fact, the very word athlete comes from a root word that means prize. Greek historians tell us that the winners of these Olympic races not only were crowned with a laurel wreath but they won permanent fame and glory. Busts were made of them and put up around the cities in the empire. And Paul says that there is a prize that awaits all those who endure this race of faith. That's why he brings this example of Christ as the finisher of the faithful. He says that Christ was unable to endure the cross, the cross, the shame, a small thing to him, because of his prize. That was the joy that was set before him. There was a finish line. And the promise of his father was, you will have the joy of knowing that you have accomplished my will, which is the redemption of these people I've given to you as a gift. They will only be given to you if you finish the course. If you go to the cross, if you die and shed your blood and are raised again from the dead, you finish the course. You have this joy awaiting you. Isn't it interesting? The word the Lord Jesus used at the cross to tell us, I finished. <laughs> I finished the course I had to run. There was a prize set before Christ. He was crowned with glory and honor. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, the Lord mighty in battle. He is the King of glory. Jesus ascended into heaven in a cloud. And the sh oh, the shoutings, the singing, the king of glory. He's finished the race. And just so the apostle says, there's a prize for you when you finish the race. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Eternal glory. So Paul would say, would he not, I have finished the course. There is henceforth laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me that day. You tell me that won't be a happy time. What in the world will all of the troubles and trials be in comparison to that day? What will it be like? 
Let me tell you, folks, this world, it's a veil of tears. It's a veil of tears. It's a place of sin and sorrow. Thank God we have Christ with us in the world, and that's the one thing that makes it bearable. But I, for one, will be glad to go home. Because that's my home. It's not this world. I'm just passing through. I'm not living for this world. It has nothing to offer me. I want to be able to say at the end of my life, if I had my mind still, I finished the course. I've run this race. It's all that matters. Now, Lord, give me that crown so I can look on your pierced hand with my own eyes. That's how you do it, brothers and sisters. No other way but this. May Christ our prophet write this word on our hearts by his spirit. The Lord bless his word to our souls. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's all pray. Lord, it's It's good to be here. It's a blessing to preach the word. Time has just seemed to stand still. It's just flown by. What must it be like to be in heaven when time is no more? Oh, Lord. We ask thee now that thou would grant us that grace to look off from everything else and put our focus upon Christ, to live by faith. To live in communion with our Lord, to follow him in obedience, to cast ourselves upon thee. Leaning, leaning upon the everlasting arms. If there be a child of thine here that has been going through the mill, tonight we pray that thy truth will be the means of taking their eyes off their situation and putting them on the Savior. Send us to our homes in the joy of the Lord and in the peace of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.